Okay, I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is RAG Radio, and uh, we, uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. One more week, another great show. Uh, so we, we, we always want to remind you, the RAG, RAG Radio comes your way wherever you might be, uh, every Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we originate at Co-O-O-P, Co-op Radio, uh, Co-op HD1, HD3, Hornsby, uh, and um, KOOP.org. So uh, we are rebroadcast on a number of other stations around the country, and our podcasts are a whole bunch of places. So a lot of people listen later. <laughs> but uh, it's still important and still relevant. Uh, Tracy Schultz uh, is my uh, is my co-conspirator, my partner in crime. Yeah. Uh, happy to be here as always. It's always a good time. Yeah, it's once we see your smiling face, we know <laughs> we're in the right place. <laughs> Susie Sheeler is here with us. And we we have a gang. Hey, Susie. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going. It's going. Roger Baker's here taking pictures. Uh, and um, hi, Roger. <laughs> today, today we're doing something special. Um, um, and, but first, I want to introduce our. I, I don't know whether to say Alice is the guest host. Alice was a guest host recently when I wasn't even here. Uh, but Alice is Alice Embry is our regular uh, cohort. She's been on the show many times, uh, and. Um, I've known Alice since 19... Oh, should we even 63, say? yeah. Go 63. <laughs> 1963. <laughs> we were involved in lots of movements, lots of struggles uh, over many years. Uh, uh, Alice is a longtime Austin peace and justice activist and union member. She worked with the original RAG in the 60s, writes for the RAG blog, has been guest and co-host on RAG Radio, and is one of the editors of the acclaimed book celebrating the RAG, Austin's iconic underground newspaper, a veteran of the women's liberation movement, Alice was a contributor to the 1970 anthology Sisterhood is Powerful. And she's also a DSA member. That's true. Uh, so Alice is going to introduce our guests. That's uh, right, Thorne. Our other guests. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we do that? Okay. And just to begin, um, we're doing this show for International Women's Day, even though today is not, in fact, International Women's Day. And a little bit later on, we'll, we'll talk about an event that marks International Women's Day on March 8th. But right now, I am so pleased to be joined by a younger generation of feminists. And we have with us Kim Varela Broxson and Lindsay Rodriguez. And we're going to talk about uh, a bolathon and an effort to raise uh, an effort to support uh, abortion access for low-income women. And um, so, Kim, I'm going to start with you. And I know that you came from California and you came to Austin to go to school, and um, that you work in Austin now, and that I know you as a co-chair of the Democratic Socialists of America uh, Feminist Action Committee. So you want to say a few words about how you came into DSA and this kind of work? Sure. So I kind of always thought of myself as someone who was pretty progressive and had uh, you know, strong ideals for progressive things. 
but I didn't really act upon them until the 2016 election. Kind of saw what was going on and uh, realized that that was the exact opposite of what I wanted to happen. So uh, I uh, went to a DSA meeting with my husband, and uh, y'all were raising money and uh, awareness for the Bolathon last year. And that was kind of the direct type of action that I felt that I needed to take. So uh, here I am. So I want to go to Lindsay Rodriguez now, and I think you have been on co-op radio before, Lindsay, but you are the communications and digital organizing manager for the National Network of Abortion Funds, and this is a period of time when a lot uh, of support comes in uh, for abortion access. So do you want to tell us how you came into this kind of work? Sure, absolutely. So I am originally from San Antonio, Texas, and I moved to Austin a few years ago. Um, I have been really active on the board and then as president of one of our local abortion funds here, the Lilith Fund. Um, And same as uh, what Kim was saying is that I was just really impressed with the direct action that I see abortion funds taking um, to really write something in the world tangibly right now that they see is wrong. And um, I'm really excited to be able to work with a whole network of over 70 funds across our network to be able to continue that. So you really work nationally. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. it's the entire nation. But maybe you could say a few words about the uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in in the great state of Texas right now. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, with Texas, um, we see a lot of incredibly restrictive um, legislative barriers to being able to get an abortion. We also know that Texas is an area where people are not paid well, not treated well as workers um, as a sort of bigger trend. And we also know that people that have less access to financial resources and support systems are going to be the people that have the most difficult time accessing abortion. So we do have several abortion funds here in the state of Texas that are working um, in different corners on different areas. Some are doing actual abortion funding. Some are working to drive people to the appointments that they need or book plane tickets or um, Greyhound buses or hotels or feed people as they're traveling. Um, After the 2013 um, legislative session, when we did see so many clinics close, um, those have just become even more important, uh, um, that sort of support. And so um, we did not have enough clinics to start with in Texas, um, and we're, we're really down quite a, bu- a bit now, and that increases waiting periods and costs for people. And, and if you make that choice, uh, that reproductive choice, mm-hmm. it's a, now a, it, it takes travel, takes two days, mm-hmm. and the clinics, isn't it from 40 to... 20 or something now? Yeah, Just we're about 20 clinics right now, and I don't have the exact number because mm-hmm. it does fluctuate, um, But which is which is another issue that we see is just information and people who need to access their health care options not knowing what is actually available. Um, but yes, we're down to about uh, 20 clinics right now. Texas does have a 24-hour waiting period, so if you are outside of a major city, which a lot of Texans are, you have to travel, you have to get your sonogram 24 hours in advance, you have to listen to a speech where somebody tries to talk you out, um, and that's a, a mandated speech from the state legislature that um, abortion providers do not and have not wanted to have to say, but they have to go through the speech. They have to pay for a hotel room. Um, most people who are accessing abortion are parents already, which means that they're also paying for child care. Um, and then they have to come back the next day for their appointment. So it's a very, um, 
It's a really patronizing system that assumes that people don't know what they want to do with their lives and tries to put up as many barriers as possible. And each one of these barriers costs money. So um, the less money you have, the more likely it is, even if you can hop a couple of these barriers, something is going to come up in the way and you're not going to be able to access your abortion. So that's really um, the important work that abortion funds are doing. And these are primarily uh, for low-income women, right? Is that correct? Is or, I mean, you, you call in a hotline and... Yeah, um, so most of the funds do run a hotline or what's called a cold line where you leave a message. Um, and, and essentially what happens is none of the funds ask people to prove their financial circumstances um, because we know that there's all sorts of uh, reasons why people might not be able to do that. Um, we don't ask people to prove their poverty in any way um, as a values alignment. And um, people call in and say, this is what I need. Um, and oftentimes our funds in Texas work together. We do know most funds um, run out of resources pretty early, and most people aren't able to be funded. So um, they work together to be able to, to sort of cobble together a network of support um, amongst mostly volunteers and um, to try and get as many people as possible access to their health care rights as they should. There's, and I wanted to, if we could take a second about it. Sure. Uh, you know, Alice, we, Alice Embry and I are two of the three editors of this book. It's called A Raucous Absorbing Excursion Back to the 1960s and 70s by Kirkus Reviews. It's, it's gotten great national reviews, and it's, and it's a very cool book. But one thing that it has in here is that it talks about... Uh, it talks about how the time when women really became the major force at the RAG, and it also talks about the role, and Alice can tell us a little something about this, the role that RAG staffers played in the incredibly important Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I'm, Sarah Weddington has a blurb on the back of the book, and it's really a tribute to RAG staffers, and, and in particular I'd like to mention Judy Smith, who died a few years ago, but... Judy was a force to be reckoned with, and uh, she, when she decided with other women that we were going to, that birth control information was going to, was a real problem. I mean, this was a time when you couldn't get birth control if you weren't married, et cetera, et cetera. People didn't know how to access birth control. They certainly didn't know where uh, abortions were illegal. And uh, they actually hammered up a, a birth control information center in the middle of the RAG office with plywood and uh, answered phone calls in the hallway and followed up on those calls later. And Sarah attributes... Uh, Sarah the, Weddington was the, the lawyer who took the, who argued the, the case before the U.S. Supreme Court. The very young it. lawyer in her 20s, and these were also women in their 20s, and they came to her and Judy in particular and Jim Wheelis and said... Maybe maybe a lawsuit would be appropriate, and, <laughs> and uh, it's and from there it went, of course, all the way to the Supreme Court as yeah. Roe v. Wade, and and some of that history has been, you know, as as kind of on the edge of repression as Texas can sometimes be. It's like wonderful to understand also that in the face of that, you have these kind of very bold. Um, Moves and uh, the, and Roe v. Wade came out of here. Right, and and the the, the women at the RAG and Jim Wheatless, they were involved not only in talking Sarah Weddington into finding a test case, but also in developing the case. 
So that's very cool, and it's all you can read all about it in celebrating the rag. Uh, and <laughs> it's, it's a very cool book. It's a three hundred page book, uh, and it has incredible, wonderful art from the original rag and all kinds of stuff. So, okay, back to Alice. We have about five minutes where we're going to take another take another a real break. break, a real break. A real oh, break. okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> that seemed um, kind of real, didn't it? Uh, Kim, I don't know if. You can can we talk a bit about what uh, DSA Feminist Action Committee is doing and what Absolutely. you're excited about? Yeah, I'm excited about all sorts of things. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we are really excited about is for International Women's Day, we are throwing a music fest. Um, and for some more information about that, you can visit the Austin DSA Facebook page. But we are uh, bringing out a bunch of uh, female-fronted bands and spoken word poets. And we're going to go ahead and see what we can do about collecting some donations for the uh, National Network of Abortions uh, Bolathon. And so we have got um, one team so far, and we're raising uh, awareness for the Lilith Fund. So. And, and a year ago, we, we did another very successful March 8th event on International Women's Day and showed a film and raised money for the Lilith Fund. <laughs> There's Absolutely. a theme here. Um, <laughs> and we'll be doing that again. Just uh, it, it, That's going to be in April instead. So next Thursday, uh, visit the DSA. It's austindsa.org. You can visit AustinDSA.org, or you can visit the Austin DSA Facebook page for more information. You can okay. also go to the RAG blog. Uh, Alice right. put a, wrote a, 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 a little article about it, uh, which has all the details, and it's at, on the Metro page at the RAG blog. The RAG, TheRAGblog.com. So, TheRAGblog.com. Cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Music Fest. Music Fest. So. Okay. Our, no, we've still got a couple Oh, we've minutes. got some more time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've... I, we won't be able to go into much depth here, but I think that uh, both of you know so much about the entire issue of reproductive justice, and that is often um, ignored in the culture wars over uh, whether you're choosing to have an abortion or not. And there are a lot of groups coming together in Austin right now on a repro power that's very centered on um, the choices that women make all the time to have children, not have children, to raise children in healthy environments. So I don't know, Lindsay, can you say a word or two about that? Uh, I will if you won't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think what's really important um, when we're talking about the issue of reproductive justice is to expand. Um, it definitely includes abortion access and abortion rights, but it also includes the right for people to have the family, the right and the resources to have the family that they desire. And um, we know that that particularly applies to people with lower incomes and people of color who are often kept from having children, um, as well as people who are kept from abortion access. So um, they're more likely to have their families criminalized, police have their children taken away. Um, this is a spectrum that we that is really important when we're talking about reproductive justice is, is essentially that everybody has the rights, resources, and information to make the decisions that they want to and to parent or not parent in the way that they want to. Um, it's also particularly about centering people of color as leaders, um, centering people of color as well as people um, who might have less financial resources, which we know oftentimes is an overlap because they are the ones who are most affected when we see um, these restrictions come up or we see barriers put in place. We know that um, these are this is a, an outset of systemic income inequality and white supremacy. And so it's, it's really a deeper fight against both of those issues in addition to gender justice. 
Thank you. And um, it, are, should we take a break? We right can, now? Is this a good time? Okay. This will be a good All time. Right. Yeah. And uh, to go out, uh, we had a couple of folks play live in the studio of the past year, including Mr. Guy Forsyth, who just recently won Best Vocalist at the Austin Music Awards just the other day. Right. And so it's a real pleasure to be able to play a little bit of him. Oh, man, oh, that one you left behind. Don't think for a second you just might change your mind. Things would be different if the whole wide world rewind. Cause you could say she's crazy now. It's not like you treated her any different than all the rest. Held for a moment and told you loved her best. Maybe she just felt it deeper inside the vest. Cause you could say she's crazy now. I got high today Like the day before I'd like to leave this town If I could find the door I've been walking the streets Trying to score But I struck out So I robbed the store Look what you made me do Look what you put me through It's all because of you Look what you made me do I just need me a shot Okay, uh, Tracy. Yeah, that is uh, the great uh, Uranium Savages, uh, one of Austin's favorites. Yeah. Uh, they, the, they're really nice. They, they came up and played here in September of 2017, played live here in the studio, so you can hear the whole session right now at and we should mention that that was that the uranium savage was the ethereal voice of Carry On, uh, <laughs> and Guy Forsyth. Those they were both those were both recorded live on this radio show. So, yeah. okay, we're back. We're back with Alice uh, Alice Embry and uh, uh, Kim uh, Varela, uh, Broxson and Lindsay Rodriguez. And uh, Alice Susie has a question she would like to ask. Susie Sheeler. Well, I'm not entirely sure that this is the right time for this question, but I, I do. I was wondering what impact uh, Cecile Richards leaving Planned Parenthood has going forward for Planned Parenthood, and what does that look like? And for Cecile Richards. Well, yeah, I'm hoping that she's going to run for governor. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. Anybody want to take that? Um, yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about that. I think that um, Cecile has been such an incredibly um, powerful organizing force for abortion access and abortion rights. I think that um, she is, you know, tough as steel. I think we were talking about Texas women here just a second ago, and I think that um, that is one thing that you get when you are in a place that can be so incredibly oppressive is that you have activists that are bold and brave in acting out in ways that... Um, really challenged the norm, and I think that she has done an incredible job galvanizing a movement, and um, I'm really excited to see where Planned Parenthood goes moving forward. 
Um, she's been very instrumental in having women of color leadership um, around her and in moving that up. And, and I would love to see a continued focus on um, abortion access in particular, but also a full spectrum of reproductive justice. And I think, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where Cecile goes from here and, and exciting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, answer, Nancy. Um, I, I know that she wrote a book, and then she's on a tour right now. And so here in Austin, we're going to be uh, having the pleasure of seeing her speak in a couple of months down the road. Uh, so she's st- I like to think that she's still uh, in the mix, as they say. So it's like uh, looking forward to seeing what happens next for her. Well, I think she has proven that, you know, when things get hard, you get smarter and more savvy and you do better organizing and you do better networking and she she had a big you know i think i think we have seen a lot of silo activity uh if you want to you know what they call stove pipe in other words where you know you go in you're involved with this issue this issue this issue and that's one of the exhilarating things about this period of time because those barriers are really coming down. I see it in Democratic Socialists of America. I see it in the repro power where, you know, people people are bringing in or they're allying with child care issues and they're, all, you know, it's not, it's not every issue for themselves anymore. And I think we, we are at a tipping point um, in the country where from the time the women's march happened, and, and, there, and no one expected those numbers in the streets, we just and I, I'll either one of you that want to comment on that, um, Kim uh, or <laughs> Lindsay, uh, I think that that you know it's like we've seen Me Too, we've seen um, uh, you know all of this attention on domestic abuse in the White House, we've. Uh, we've seen these attacks on health care that affect women, and um, it's, it's having the effect of, of women saying enough is enough. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and going, kind of going back to what you were saying about uh, reproductive justice, I think one of the things that's most important about reproductive justice is the intersectionality of it. It's looking at things instead of being through those silos. We're looking at things that have to do with race and class and gender, and we're putting and and and, and you know the economy, and we're putting all of these things together, and we're approaching it from that intersectional point. And I think that's why. That's why we're going to be successful moving forward. We're not taking uh, issues one at a time. We're taking them as a group. We're fighting for not only abortion access, but we're also fighting for child care. We're also fighting for, you know, um, for all of these all of these things at once instead of just one mm-hmm. individual thing. And I think um, part of what we're seeing with something with things like Me Too and, you know, confronting domestic abusers and things like that is that we're, you know, we're trying to approach these problems within all aspects of people's lives instead of, um, you know, only at being concerned with how things are going only at work or only at school. And no, these are, these are problems that women face and people face throughout their lives. And so we need to make sure that we're addressing them as such. Yeah. I think with, uh, paid sick days, you saw that and, and women, women's organizations said, yes, that is, uh, that really affects, women's lives. I mean, when do we take our kids to the doctor? Do mm-hmm. you, do you really want us to to lose our pay to do that? And it's a uh, so that, that that's an issue, you know, I I think it was so exciting to see that pass locally and and to see the organizing. 
Yeah, I just I, I was going to say that a lot of people don't know, oh. especially listening in other parts of the country. Okay, other parts of the country. Austin but just here, passed here. a paid sick days ordinance at yeah, the city did. council, and uh, it had to do with canvassing 5,000 houses and building up alliances across all these different uh, issue areas and uh, coming out to city council and treating the new city manager to... Uh, one heck of a long city council meeting. <laughs> I, think, I don't think they voted until one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. We kept them there nice and late. Yeah. So, but and and now they just passed it for part-time workers too. And city workers. And for, city workers. Mm -hmm. so. For city. Yeah. City, city temps. The, city of course, temps. city uh, yes. city employees yeah. were covered with you know benefits, but yeah. what's happening in the workforce a lot is that yeah. you know you're getting. People are working as contractors or they're working as temp jobs, and that's where you lose your benefits, and you've got to organize to, to maintain them. And well, look, at, look at West Virginia. Good yes. heavens. I mean, the entire school system has shut down there over teachers and, as they point out, other support staff in the schools and health benefits. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and it was very drastic, but it worked, and uh, they got a got a salary bump because of it. Yeah, they they did. I mean, I think it's still working itself out. Uh, yeah, but they got a five percent uh, pay raise there. They got their pay raise, and then um, the the group is still on a wildcat strike um, against the like uh, to, for um, excuse me better um, insurance and benefits as well. So they've gotten the raise, but they're still fighting for additional parts that they need to succeed in life. I want to say just a word about what is International Women's Day, because people may not know. And I know in 1970, I was like, oh, you mean there was, there was a women's history. No one, ta no one taught me that in school. And we began to look for it and, in fact, find it. And it's uh, pretty remarkable that International Women's Day dates to uh, an event in the United States, and even though it wasn't celebrated in the United States and was picked up all over the world, um, the, March 8, 1908, uh, working women crowded the streets of Lower um, Lower East Side in New York City, and this was these were garment workers, and these were immigrant garment workers, and when they organized, they had to have meetings that with simultaneous translation in about 14 languages because my, the, the women came from Eastern Europe. And um, anyway, they, this, it's, they won so many battles. Uh, they certainly, it, it took the triangle, shirtwaist fire happened in New York City and women had been locked in to that factory because of theft concerns. And 146 people lost their lives and so that was, really the beginning of a lot of safety issues that, that took place. Anyway, so we are celebrating International Women's Day, and we're doing this event, as Kim said, and you can find it on the DSA Facebook site, and it will be Thursday 6 to 10, um, March 8th, and music and spoken word, and we're having Alyssa Grace music and also... Uh, a Latina band called Tiara Girls and uh, Christina Culverhouse. So, and there will be more in the lineup, but that's so far the lineup. Or okay. as at the time we went to press. <laughs> um, so there's late breaking news. Um, 
like we were saying earlier, we had several musicians come through and play live here in uh, the studios of Co-op on Rag Radio. And somebody that uh, was really great uh, was uh, the, the uh, 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 like, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, Shiva's Headband. Shiva's Headband, like they played here in December of 2017. We had Spencer and Sean from Shiva's Headband playing live here in the studios. A rare deal to be able to get those guys that's like to perform. And these guys actually used to do benefits for the original rag uh there are dear old friends so not that they're old <laughs> so to go to break let's play a little bit of this well i've never really known what's wrong and what is right never make a judgment blow it on the other side I'm a wave upon the ocean I'm a little ripple on the sea Don't need to get no crazy notion You know you're very much like me This is my capo, I just happen to have my backpack and I'm not used to it's what would you call it? It's it's uh Please don't think about me, baby, when I'm gone. I won't be coming back. I know there's rights, I know there's wrongs. There's just feelings that I I'm not saying I don't love you, you know I do Saying I would never change I would never ask the same of you That's how it must remain And that is uh, the great Jimmy LaFave, uh, an Austin legend. That was his song. Uh, how it must remain that was recorded here in the studios of co-op in november of 2017 great i should mention also that shiva's headband spencer and sean siegel uh who played before were genuine pioneers of the psychedelic they were pretty much psychedelic blues but uh, they were pioneers of that movement along with the 13th floor elevators and the conqueroo here in austin austin was an epicenter for that psychedelic music scene uh a lot of what happened in San Francisco first happened in Austin, incidentally. So, okay, Alice Embry uh, is is back with us, and Alice, why don't you reintroduce the topic and the guests? Okay, uh, we're first of all support co-op radio. Obviously, uh, do what Beverly has done, do what Carlos has done, and uh, support this wonderful music and this wonderful programming opportunity that that we have. Um, so I'm Alice Embry, as Thorne said, and we are doing a show in, um, for, in honor of International Women's Day, which is uh, next Thursday, March 8th. And I have with me um, Kim Varela Broxen and Lindsay uh, Rodriguez. And we have been talking about uh, 
abortion access and reproductive justice and International Women's Day and a whole a whole lot of things. And I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna start from where I started three years ago uh, with you, Lindsay. I'm I was like hearing about a bowlathon, and I'm like, what does bowling have to do with reproductive choice? So take it away. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, the bowlathon is my very favorite time of year because it is a place where we see people take their values and their positions and put them into direct action. Um, and across our network, what happens is people sign up. It's what's called a peer-to-peer fundraiser. So people sign up and make a page. Um, and they raise money for their local abortion funds. And it's a really important show of collective power. Um, the majority of donations that come in are under $50. And um, it's, it's really a way that we are, um, in practice, redistributing wealth. We are fighting back against the white supremacy that we know is part of the healthcare system. Um, and it, is, it, it fuels abortion funds' budgets for the entire year. So it's a really critical way. Um, it's also, frankly, especially in Texas, a really heartwarming way to see people show up and support the work that you're doing every day when you can feel very alone and like um, the legislature is continually making things worse, actually, every day. So um, this is a place where we know that communities come together to take care of ourselves when the state is not taking care of us the way that they should. And last year, um, tying it back to what you were talking about with the Women's March, last year we definitely did see um, a surge of people come in. Um, We had set a what we thought was a pretty incredible goal of $1 million for the network to raise um, for direct action towards abortion access, and we ended up raising $1.7 million with over 3,000 participants across the network. And the DSA showed up really hard across the whole country. It was really, really impressive. They raised over $30,000. And it's really great to see um, that actually happen in practice, see the kind of um, values and to see the, the feminist committees especially show up in a way for, um, for this direct action and this direct support that happens. And this year we have a goal of $2 million. And we're just kicking off. So you can learn more about um, what events are happening in your local community at bullathon.nnaf.org. And I, I, I messed up. I was going to bring my t- my bowling shirt. <laughs> I have a bowling shirt that's from Mother Jones, and it's mm-hmm. a Mother Jones Bolsheviks. So yes. <laughs> we have some but, great teams this year that are called the Bolsheviks. So, oh, yeah. we do. We do. Well, I've mm-hmm. got the shirt. Bowl, bowling that that works perfectly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and bowling for Columbine. Okay, Alex. Kim, do you, do you have? I mean, can you remember the? The crazy team names uh, that we have right now, or do you want to talk about your team? We have all kinds of them. So my team is the Ovary Actors, and (laughs) really proud of that one. But we have we have some all across the country. I'm trying to think. Roll v. Wade is a pretty popular one. Uh, Yeah, lots of any basically anything you can think of to do a bowling pun to do with feminism. It's happening, and uh, if you have any additional ideas, you're welcome to share them (laughs) with us. Um, But yeah, if you want to find wildcat. Strikers. Yes. We've got some wildcat strikers. We've got the general strike. Yes. Um, we have all kinds of just really great creative names. And as like a word nerd, this is also my favorite time of year. It's just to see what kind of puns people come Don't up with. Don't iron while the strike is hot. It's <laughs> yeah. a slogan. It's a long name. I like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> cool. So we in in uh, when I first got involved, I guess okay, this is eighteen, so okay. 
2016, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Um, with the first, the first round with uh, the local uh, DSA chapter. And we showed a movie, and, and, and we surprised ourselves because we got twice what we had aimed at getting. And um, I think, can you tell me the teams are supposed to raise like 600? They're supposed to have yeah, six? Yeah, the, um, the, suggested, the suggested thing that we ask for most um, participants is that they try to raise $100, between $100 mm-hmm. and $150. Most people, um, well, a lot of people go beyond that. And then mm-hmm. if you have teams of four to six people, then it's around five to $600 a team. So mm-hmm. um, those, yeah, those 3,000 participants and, and um, hundreds of them in Texas. So we've, we've just got... I think we've got three events happening in Austin this year. Um, we've got them in Dallas. We've got them in San Antonio. We've got them happening in McAllen, El Paso. Like Texas is showing up really, really big. And, um, and it's because it's a, as well as the South and Midwest in general, because it's a place that they know that this is, this is a place where they can fight back. And it, it's fun. And I, I will say that bowling skill is not really, I mean, that's not, not necessary. Not no bowling Absolutely. Pro- we had needed. a three-year-old bowling with our uh, DSA chapter. We so. did. <laughs> and really quick, on the part where you said that it's fun, that's something that I do want to highlight because um, when we're building a movement and we're building a community, what we want is people to make connections and come back. We don't want, you know, um, a lot of this is really depressing. And when we're <laughs> talking about a sustained movement and a sustained fight, we show up for people that we build relationships with. And so um, the ability to have parties and successes and meet people and connect with our values is a really, really important thing for making a sustainable movement. So bowling seems weird, um, for sure, <laughs> but there's, there is strategy behind that as well, too. So DSA, I think we doubled in the next year what we had done the year before. And then, uh, you know, I don't know that we've set a... A monetary target yet, but we're gonna we're gonna blow our last goal out of the water. I can assure you. That is the mission. Dreyer Dreyer has to come in because one of his roles in life is to is to make sure that people know the larger picture about stuff that DSA DSA Democratic Socialists of America is a national organization which has shown incredible growth ever since Bernie Sanders started running for president, and it has there are eight hundred plus members in Austin alone. Yes. Uh, so it's, it, and it's incredibly active all over the country. So anyway, just so people, we talk about DSA, so people know. And, and that's about. one of the, the things that can make you feel empowered, just being in a room with a whole lot of other people. And it's, it's been so exciting for me because I think uh, as kind of a second wave feminist, it's like, where is everybody for a while? It seemed that way anyway. And uh, everybody is here. (laughs) We're here. We're here. (laughs) I know. And maybe one of the wonderful things is that now it's, you know, young people, lots of young people are involved and there's still these uh, geezers involved. So it's, it's become a sort of <laughs> kind of intergenerational. We love our uh, thank you, thank you for that. And they, they're, they still let us. We don't bowl well, hang. but thank you. Um, no, I think but, it's. I think we also get to see the the kind of growth that happens in uh, in movements for social justice because I, I feel like you know. It's it just has taken what you talked about intersectionality. I mean, things that we didn't have the words for or the language for very much, and we maybe didn't have the practice for. Um, so the, these are really important concepts that that I get to enjoy watching in practice in uh, crazy 
DSA chapter meetings. So if you want to say anything about crazy DSA chapter meetings. So. I do love our crazy DSA chapter <laughs> meetings. Um, I think DSA is a really great place to find um, sometimes like-minded individuals, but also you come into, you, you have the opportunity to discuss things that maybe beliefs you have that are conflicting with other people. And I think it's a really safe space to do that. Um, and we do work in all sorts of things. We just talked a little bit about, um, the work that we did with, um, paid sick days and we have a healthcare justice group. So here in Austin, we're lucky to have a very large contingent. Um, I think you said over 800 people here in Austin, but there are chapters all around the country. Um, I'm actually co-chairing the abortion access committee for the DSA this year. Um, You mean, nationally nationally yes so i'm working alongside the socialist feminist working group and so we're getting in touch with people all around the country there are so talking about bolathon there is uh my co-chairs team in cleveland has already raised like over a thousand dollars and they did this in like two weeks so there are so many people that are showing up for abortion access that are showing up for causes that they really care about and they're redistributing that wealth and they're making action they're making they're making change in places that you know maybe they wouldn't have had the ability to do so before so it's really exciting that dsa is helping bring uh you know these uh these funds to our attention and i do believe that the nnaf is one of the only um external organizations that dsa nationally fundraises for and it's because we see the value in that group and in what they're fighting for so Thanks for all the work you do, Lindsay. And yeah, thank, thank y'all. I've gotten a lot of great emails from DSA people this year. So. <laughs> and thank you for, I mean, one of the things that you find out with younger people is that, I don't know, they know how to use their phones and, <laughs> and all manner of, like, uh, I mean, it's, it's and you, you work, of course, in this whole digital world. Uh, and so can you say a few words about how, I mean, that has changed everything because it, in terms of fundraising. Absolutely. Um, so we've always had, uh, NNAF is a 25-year-old organization with funds that are even older, but we definitely have seen just exponential growth as people connect on social media. I first found out about abortion funds by donating to someone's bolathon off, off of Twitter. So like, it changed my life. It is something that um, definitely, once you sort of open the door to this and find out there are these tangible direct action steps that you can make to improve the situation, it is very hard to close that door again. And, um, and this is, it's bowling, but it is primarily an online social media fundraiser where people are, um, both raising money, but they're also just having really deep conversations about their values with the people that they care about when they're making those asks. And that's a really important culture change and, um, work to, to break down the stigma that's around abortion. And a lot of people, even on our, our side, allies don't like to say the word abortion. And so this is a really important step and conversation that we see happening. One thing, if I can, oh, just pipe in quickly sure. <laughs> is that there, there's like a, not only a culture war, but it's a religious war. Uh, and that to so much, you know, you're up against the evangelical Christians to such a great extent so that it becomes a much more difficult prospect, doesn't it? Well, I'll, I'll just say, and you know, I'm, I'm in a religion and socialism committee of democratic socialists of America. And I, I think we, I think there's a lot of narrative that needs to be, uh, you know, addressed in all that. Because, yes, you've got evangelical Christians, but you have an entire, uh, you have a lot of faith communities that that are into practicing social justice. We and, do have a lot of faith communities that show mm-hmm. up, especially during Bolathon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
No, my, my point was that they controlled, that the event specifically controlled so many of the state legislatures. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and in yeah. a way that, that and they don't argue, they don't discuss. There's every, nothing is open for discussion. So that's all. Uh, as you were saying, <laughs> yeah, four minutes. <laughs> that's what yeah, that's we're why just doing our, up our little countdowns. Like we got about four minutes left of the show. Okay. Um, well, are there any things you want to uh, say? Either, you know. Yeah, I just want to um, reemphasize that anybody who wants to get involved this year can check out bullathon.nnaf.org. We had our big national launch yesterday, but we definitely do have. Um, a lot of action happening already. We've raised over $70,000 towards our $2 million goal. Um, so it's very exciting. You can also check out um, hashtag bowl18 on social media to be inspired by everybody else's amazing work and see what kind of great creativity they're putting into their fundraising this year. Absolutely. And if you uh, need any more information um, about the DSA's involvement in the, in the NNAF Bowlathon, we've started a Twitter handle. It's DSA bowl a thn crew and that's on twitter um and we're here basically just to help dsa members get involved and uh, get you connected with events that are occurring in your area and also if you're looking to uh get involved with anything with the austin dsa we are uh like we said we're doing our music fest on thursday for more information on that you can go to the austin dsa facebook page and we'll also be having a movie screening coming up in april just before um our bolathon events are over so yeah thank you so a lot of upcoming events and uh support co-op first okay uh (laughs) shall we close okay do you have any final words because we're going to move to we've got some tracy has some important information to give us uh so but we want to thank everybody for being here we're just down to a couple of minutes so it's been wonderful and thank you alice and alice thank you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i would mention before you go into it this is a final thing next week uh carl davidson leftist thinker and writer and former national secretary of sds uh is going to be our guest okay thank you everybody for being with us i'm thorn dryer and this is rag radio